0: Hey, it's Nancy. Before we begin today, I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Crime Beat early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
1: A listener's note. The following episode contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature, and may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised.
0: On a cold, snowy evening in the fall of 2012, sirens could be heard from one end of Calgary to another.
2: And what are you seeing? Tell me now. He's hanging himself off the bridge with the rope. Are you safe right now, Mom? Hello? Get here now! Calgary, please what's the address of the emergency. i like to report a murder, Please.
0: I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. Today, on Crime Beat, a series of 911 calls lead police to multiple scenes and a disturbing discovery. This is Justice for Lacey. Just before 10 o'clock, on the night of October 25th, 2012, Two good Samaritans came upon a harrowing scene and called for help.
2: Calgary, please, what's the address of the emergency? I was just trying to buy it, and there's this guy trying to hang himself off the bridge here. He's trying to hang on, and I don't know, I don't know. I'm trying to pull him back up. He's trying to
0: hang on. Moments later, an even more disturbing discovery, just a few feet away from that bridge. But before we get into the twisted turn of events that led investigators to this scene, I need to introduce you to the young woman at the heart of today's story, Lacey Jones McKnight. Here's her mother, Shelley Jones.
3: Lacey was an old soul from from the moment she was born.
0: She was the middle child with an older and younger brother. As she got older, Lacey became a style chameleon, changing her hair color with her mood, and often used color contacts to create a new look. She loved to get dressed up and go out, but equally enjoyed time with her mom in the backyard, digging in the dirt. Hiking, swimming,
3: camping. She loved the outdoors, fishing.
0: She also had a special love for animals. And by the time she was 20, she had five cats. She would bring home animals and keep them for weeks
3: hidden in her bedroom. That was not uncommon for her to do. And then, then this cat or dog would just magically appear. And then she would tell me, oh mom, we have to keep him now. Lacey and I both just always loved butterflies and then she went out and surprised me with a tattoo of butterflies on her ankle. and. Um, I always thought of Lacey as a butterfly, very soft, kind, gentle, beautiful, magical. So I, now I call Lacey my beautiful butterfly. I mean, that's, that's how I, I view her. She was magical to me.
0: She had the words hope and faith tattooed on her wrists because she always chose to see the best in others.
3: She was a sweet soul. And she she genuinely cared about people. She cared and she loved unconditionally.
0: After high school, Lacey juggled a day job as a receptionist and night shifts at several local bars. She didn't have a plan.
3: She didn't know what she wanted to do. Um, She had some
0: thoughts um,
3: to be a veterinarian, um, to be a flight attendant, Possibly a nurse, but she just could never really pinpoint what she wanted to do, and that's why she was bartending—was just to fill that void until she could figure out what she wanted to do. I mean, it was it was easy money, right?
0: That's where Lacey met her first real love. His name was Christopher Gunther, but his friends called him Trey. He
3: was a
0: uh, bouncer at the bar where Lacey was working
3: um, at Desperados. And um, the first time that I met him was when they were going on a trip to Mexico. She brought me a painting that she had made. She told me they had gone to um, um, some different little shops and I mean, there's, there's pictures of them on the beach. Lacey was swept off her feet. Flowers. Taking her out, I mean, taking her to Mexico, I mean, you know, as a single parent, I couldn't even do that for Lacey, always being there for her.
0: When Lacey and Trey began dating in early 2012, she was 19, and he was nearly 10 years older. I was impressed that she um, had
3: chosen an older man who had been married, who had a child, who had, he worked two jobs, he was taking her to Mexico. You know, we couldn't ask for anything better for Lacey.
0: Weeks after they returned from their whirlwind beach vacation, Trey took Lacey on another trip, this time to the Rockies. They were in, in the hot springs, and he proposed to her. And just a few months later, Trey moved in with Lacey. I was living in a house
3: that had a rental suite in the basement. And I said, that's the perfect spot for you and him. And he wanted to be with her. I mean, he moved in with her. That meant a lot to Lacey. It was my birthday right around the time that he moved in in June. He took us all, took the whole family out for an amazing meal. Um, And I remember asking him, "Why, why did you do this for me? And he said, why not? It's your birthday.
0: It seemed like a storybook romance. Until one day, Lacey came across a shocking post on Trey's social media. She just said, me and Trey broke up. He cheated on me. And
3: there's a picture of him and her on Facebook. I mean, it just broke her
0: heart. Just broke her heart. Lacey was devastated to learn Trey was still seeing his ex on the side. Shelley said he blamed his betrayals and infidelities on some struggles with his mental health.
3: He revealed to us that he was bipolar, and that's why he was behaving the way he was. And so Lacey actually took him to her family doctor, and the doctor prescribed him medication, and he did great for for a couple of weeks. You know, the flowers, taking her out, you know, buying her... You know, a new bedroom set type of thing. And then he he got caught cheating again. I mean, Lacey, I think, caught him cheating at least three different times with this same girl
0: for the next few months, in the summer of two thousand twelve, the relationship between Trey and Lacey was on again off again. Shelley said that timeline is a little blurry. things went so so quickly, too bad,
3: that it's hard to even remember when each of the things occurred because there was so many things that went wrong.
0: By August, six months after they began dating, things took another turn. She caught him cheating again. So he took off on a
3: flight to Mexico, but he had broken into our apartment she had kicked him out so he had, he had broken into the apartment and he had taken a picture and he had um cut himself and he had left blood all over this picture and all over the wall i mean it's all now looking back it was all dramatization right on his part but he wrote it a pass a note on the back of the picture you know i'll be i'll be looking at you from above and Of course, when Lacey finds this, she's devastated, she doesn't, she loves him. She genuinely loves him and cares about him. And um, so she flew down to Mexico to save him. When, When they came back from Mexico, I picked them up at the airport. I made sure Lacey got into the car and I had him at, we were putting the suitcases in the trunk. And I looked at him and I said, You ever touch my daughter again, you ever hurt my daughter in any way, and we're done. I'm done with you.
0: Things only escalated in the weeks that followed. And by October 2012, eight months after they started dating, Gunther moved out. Well, he was kicked out
3: because he had cheated again and gotten caught. So Lacey kicked him out. I believe it was the next day or two days after um, he, I wasn't at home, but I had come in the back door and I was coming through my kitchen and Lacey was running up the stairs from her basement apartment, screaming, Mom, he's in the house, he's in the house. And as soon as he seen me and I told him to get out, he stopped. He stopped chasing and he went back down to the apartment. I told Lacey to get in the bathroom and just to lock the door, and I called 911. And you know, Nancy, even when things were getting bad, my stomach was always in in knots, wondering and worrying about when the next incident would be and how was Lacey doing? And um, I knew it was bad, but you don't, ever contemplate, my God, this guy's going to murder my daughter, you just, that doesn't happen in real life. That's, that happens in the movies.
0: On the evening of October 25th, 2012, Shelly took a nap before a night shift.
3: So I woke up to messages on my phone from Lacey, running late, be there shortly. And then, um, I responded with, OK, no problem. And then I got a message from, from her again, and there was foul language in it. And that's when I knew Nancy. That's when I knew we had her. It was in that instant. Because Lacey didn't swear around me.
0: Moments later, a man burst into Shelley's home with a knife. Shelly called 911. These are excerpts from that call.
2: Have a police emergency? Are you safe right now, Mom? No, fuck, get here now. A guy showed up here with a knife and he gave me the knife and told me to kill him and then he just walked out and said he had just killed my daughter. Okay, and is he still there? He just left. Please hurry. Okay, did he hurt you? No, I want my daughter and I don't know where she is. Okay, stay with me on the line, okay? Did you see the knife? Yes, it was in my fucking hand. And do you still have it? Or he does he bought have? me for it. Okay, where is the knife right now? He's got it. So you tried to fight him for it? He gave it to me and told me to stab him. <laughs> and then he took it away from me. Did he leave in a vehicle? Yes. I think it's the Black Honda Civic. He seemed really calm when he first came in, but when he left, he was starting to shake, and that's
3: when he told me that he'd killed my daughter. Nancy, all I'm thinking at this time is, he's got my daughter, she's still alive, and so I started screaming at him, where is my daughter? And so I ran to the kitchen, and I was looking out. My back, my kitchen window faced the back alley, and I can see his taillights of his vehicle because it's dark out now. It's, it's you know, it's 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. And I'm just screaming, where's my daughter? I want my daughter, please give me my daughter. And he says, look, look out the window. Can't you see her? And I'm I'm confused. I'm not understanding what's happening, Nancy. If she's there, why is she not coming in? This is all I'm thinking in my mind. He walks to the door turns around and faces me and he says, your daughter, your daughter is effing dead. I killed your effing
0: daughter. About 15 minutes later, a couple driving in northeast Calgary called 911 after seeing a man in distress.
2: So I was just driving by and there's this guy trying to hang himself off the bridge here. Okay, so tell me exactly what happened. What did you see? I don't know. I just saw some guy on the side of the bridge with a rope. When did this happen? Just now, he's hanging himself. Right now, on right. the ambulance, he's still alive. Listen, talking. Stop, stop talking and listen to me. Okay. All right, tell me, right, you're at the bridge. Yeah. And what are you seeing, tell me now. He's hanging himself off the bridge with the rope. One moment. Don't worry, I got you, man, just hold on. Okay, just wait. Here, grab my hand, man. Listen, my, listen. What what's going on there? He's trying to hang himself off the bridge. I'm trying to get some help. Hold on, buddy. I got you. You're hanging on to him? No, he's he's just hanging on the rope. He's already like I can't pull him up. Okay, we have lots of help on the way. Okay.
0: When police arrived, they found a man hanging from a bridge with a rope around his neck. As the Good Samaritans and the responding officer rescued the man, he said, You should have left me. My girlfriend is dead. A few feet away from the bridge, officers found a black Honda Civic. Inside that vehicle, a horrifying discovery. In the front passenger seat was Lacey's lifeless body. Hi, I'm Christy Lee, the creator of Canadian True Crime. Join me for an immersive deep dive into some of the most thought-provoking true crime cases in Canada. Using facts curated from court documents, inquiry reports, and news archives, I carefully unravel and analyze each case, exposing the pitfalls of the criminal justice system that everyone needs to know about. Find Canadian True Crime wherever you listen to podcasts or visit canadiantruecrime.ca. The man on the bridge was identified as Christopher Trey Gunther. Veteran Calgary Police Detective Colm Cavilla became the primary investigator assigned to the case.
1: So the decision was made to place uh, Gunther under arrest for the murder of of Lacey based on the overwhelming evidence we had on Gunther at that time. That happened fairly quickly uh, and Gunther remained under the care of Alberta Health Services and in the hospital.
0: But after making his startling admission during his rescue, Gunther stopped talking.
1: We conducted an interview bedside with him when he was able, He was he was unable to speak, um, maybe to 100 percent of his capacity, uh, but due to do the some of the injuries from trying to hang himself. Um, but he chose to remain silent during the interview. Over the course of the next. 12 hours while receiving medical treatment and uh, recovering from that scenario. Um, I think his mindset changed. I think for me the f- the first time when I realized that it was not going to be 100% straightforward where Gunther just simply owned up to what he had done was was the bedside interview. I think you have to anticipate at that point that the story is going to get muddied. And the next step was obviously to determine exactly what the scene of the offense was, where had it occurred, and what exactly had gone on.
0: When Lacey and Gunther broke up earlier that month, he moved out of Shelley Jones's basement and was living in Walden, a community in Calgary's deep south. Police executed a search warrant at his two-story home. Sergeant Jody Arnes became the lead investigator with the Forensic Crime Scenes Unit. But our main areas of
4: concern were the bedroom that the suspect had occupied, um, the main kitchen area, uh, as well as the basement,
0: and then the garage. It had a
4: detached garage as well.
0: In the basement, police found a number of pieces of tuck tape. Here again is the lead homicide detective, Colm Cavilla.
1: We're all searching for the truth. We're always looking for the truth. and the, the evidence um, right from the get go pointed to Gunter having murdered Lacey. He had admitted it himself. There was strong evidence to support it all along the way. And then it was really just a matter of making sure every detail matched up. And there was nothing contradictory to that. The evidence was overwhelming. It was just really a matter of making sure that it was um, tied off and that there was no, no wiggle room really for there to be any other twist to the story other than the truth.
0: Meanwhile, Shelly Jones and her two sons were taken to Calgary Police headquarters. But I knew sitting in that room,
3: sitting there for that length of time, I knew it just clicked that that's why we were there is because someone was coming to tell us that Lacey was dead. And so the homicide, a homicide detective came in and he just said, Lacey's dead. We found her ID on her. That was it, Nancy. That was it. Everything is shattered, even to this day.
0: As the investigation continued, officers discovered both Lacey's and Gunther's phones were missing. Here's Joe Mercier one of two prosecutors who were assigned to the case. He had
5: thrown out his t- his phone on Deerfoot Trail, and after leaving uh, Shelley Jones' house, he had thrown Lacey's phone out of the car. Both those phones were found, and the people who found them were astute enough to understand that they were part of that case. So we were able to recover Lacey's phone and a guy fixing lights along Deerfoot Trail found Gunther's phone. Her phone was found uh, a couple blocks from Shelley Jones' uh, house in Beddington. And again it was somebody walking along and found the phone and and, uh, it, it all came together. And those phones had tons of text messages and we were able to ascertain when the phone calls were made so we had a couple of days of, of just going through the phone records. So we had, we had uh, a ton of these phone records that were indications of the conversations and the state of mind and, and that type of thing.
0: Homicide investigators retraced Lacey's last steps and learned more about her volatile relationship with Gunther.
5: There was a lot of arguing and, and it appeared to be some physical, physical stuff between them. At the time of this incident, I was an Assistant Chief Crown Prosecutor in charge of domestic violence in the Calgary General Prosecution Office. For me, being uh, in charge of domestic violence for a significant period of time, when a domestic situation results in a murder, it's always that situation that you're very concerned about in domestic violence, is that it's going to elevate and continues to get more serious.
0: In hindsight, Shelly Jones feels Gunther was manipulating her daughter, and she believes he was a narcissist.
3: That's what they look for, is a girl who's very sympathetic and wants to take care or save them. And that's who Lacey was. She wanted to take care, she wanted to save him, she wanted to make him better, and he knew that. He knew that and he knew he could draw her in, in in those ways.
0: Shelley now even questions his claims of mental health issues. I don't think he took any med- medication. If he did, he took it more as uh, as
3: a drug, as a recreational drug, if you know what I'm saying.
0: Here's homicide detective Colm Cavilla.
1: At the end of the day, it was based on jealousy and insecurity. I think that. At some point that day on October 25th, he realized that he wasn't going to have Lacey forever. And I think ultimately he made the decision that if he wasn't going to have her, then no one was going to have her.
0: In February of 2015, nearly two and a half years after Lacey Jones McKnight was killed, Christopher Trey Gunther stood trial in front of a Queens bench justice for first degree murder. Joe Mercier presented an opening statement outlining the prosecution's case.
5: Our theory was that he had intentionally killed her, that he had confined her, and once he had confined her, he was then able to kill her, which made it constructive first-degree murder.
0: The prosecution alleged Gunther choked Lacey repeatedly, bound her hands and legs, taped her mouth shut, and strangled her to death. More than 40 witnesses testified during the two-week trial, including the medical examiner.
5: An autopsy was conducted within hours of Lacey's death, and several findings of trauma were already observable on Lacey's body, which included bruising all over her body, significant bruising in the front of Lacey's neck, pronounced petechia, easily visible around her eyes, face, and neck, There was not just one finding of trauma, but a constellation of symptoms present, which demonstrate that the cause of death was manual strangulation.
0: Because Gunther refused to talk to homicide detectives, there was no formal confession. That meant the case relied heavily on forensic evidence.
5: There were a number of things. A a lot of the key forensic evidence came from, firstly, came from the car, the bag that we, it was our theory that he put over her face. And there was a bundle of red tuck tape, and there was rope in the car, and of course there was the body in the car. There was red tuck tape found in the car, in the basement of the Walden resident, and on Lacey's sock. Lacey's DNA was found on the sticky side of some of that tape. That tape was reconstructed to show that it was a continuous piece, even though some, some, was in the car, some in the residence, and some on her sock.
0: Sergeant Jody Arns painstakingly pieced together the evidence. All the tape that was in the bag
4: was all balled up and stuck together. So it all had to be tediously taken apart. So we managed to get it all taken apart. In total, I believe the 39 pieces that we put together were just under five meters. So almost 15 feet, I guess. Basically being able to actually put all the little pieces together, it helped to assist that the investigators could say that the incident would have occurred in the basement of the residence. Then he transported her to the vehicle. It obviously would have told that at some point it would have possibly been around her wrists. Um, and then there was tape around the base of the bag, so we could, and there was hair attached to the tape, so it would almost lead you to believe that it could have quite possibly been used in the suffocation. Uh, The fact that his fingerprint was on there was obviously a key factor, um, as well as on the bag. Um, It showed that he was obviously involved within the incident.
5: That was a pretty key piece of evidence indicating that she had been confined with, with tape.
0: Mercier says Arnes' work with the tuck tape was the key to unraveling the story of what happened to Lacey.
5: It was amazing, and you know, I, I was a police officer for 25 years before this, so I had been, I had been a police officer and I'd seen a lot of identification work, and then I had been a prosecutor for a significant period of time. This was, uh, this was one of. Uh, this was amazing work on her part. And then of course there was DNA that was found on the bag, inside the bag and his fingerprints outside the bag. That was very, very strong forensic evidence. And then there was DNA found, her DNA found on uh, on the tape on some of the tape. As well, there was some adhesive on one of her wrists that we we couldn't say for sure had come from the tuck tape. But again, it was circumstantial evidence that she had been bound and uh, her, her wrists had been taped.
0: Then came further damning evidence. On the evening of October 25th, 2012, there were three calls to 911, each 15 minutes apart. I've shared the calls made by Shelley and the Good Samaritans on the bridge, but there was one more that came in at about 9:15. The caller was Christopher Gunther's ex-fiance. A warning: details you're about to hear are disturbing. These are excerpts from the call.
2: I like that border murder, please. And what's your name? My name's Megan. So name Megan? It's Chibo. I need to report a murder. I, yeah. Did it just happen? I don't think it just happened, but I <laughs> he told me he saw her, um, started around 3, and then I don't know how long they were together for, but he just drove here with her, and he just left. <laughs> you, uh, sorry, he just what with her? I told him I didn't believe him, so he drove here with her, and he just left. And you saw her? Yeah, he told me to come over to his car. Did was inside the vehicle? She was in the vehicle, yeah. Okay. I didn't believe him. Okay, take a deep breath. I know this is really hard for you, okay? <laughs> I'm gonna ask you some questions though, alright? Okay. was anything? was there any weapons involved or mentioned when he said this? So he I he just choked her to because 'Cause I'm his ex and he told me something was weird and he wanted me to go to his house to get his dogs and I wouldn't. I came to work. Um uh-huh. and then he told me that he did something that he couldn't believe and he snapped and he went black and he lost it. <laughs> he told me everything, um, how he did it, what he did. I told him I didn't believe him. <laughs> Take a deep breath, okay? You're doing a great job giving this information. This is going to help us so much, okay? So this is your ex-boyfriend, Trey? Yeah, he said he was going to go kill himself. Just now? Yeah. Okay, hold on. Oh, my God. Do you know where he might go? No, I have no idea. He's telling me about going to her mom's house. Why would he head to her mom's house? I don't know, because they were arguing and stuff, too, and he talked about telling her, too. Okay, so he was talking about going to Lacey's mom's house? Yeah.
0: Detective Cavilla said CCTV evidence backed up details of the 911 call.
1: We were able to watch Megan cross the road uh, after uh, Gunter's vehicle, consistent with Gunter's vehicle, had pulled in on the other side of the road of the vinyl, perfectly matching her statement. Uh, You could see Megan walk over to the car briefly, come back, and then slump over in a heap, clearly distraught and upset in front of the vinyl nightclub. So pieces of information like that become very important down the road, if this turns into a he said, she said situation, and and Gunter tries to start denying um, what the witness is saying.
0: All of the young woman's concerns that she shared with the 911 operator came to fruition.
1: I think at the end of the day, Megan Tebow's um, statement and credibility uh, was was a key component. Um, I think the ability to corroborate the information that she gave us, um, that backstopped by Shelly's uh, information from the night and in terms of what uh, Gunther had done upon attending her house. I mean, he had walked in and given Shelly a knife and asked and asked Shelly to kill him that night. So it's not normal behaviour.
0: She testified against him in the trial. Court heard Gunther continued seeing both Lacey and his ex-fiancé Megan right up until the day Lacey was killed. In the hours leading up to her death, there were 98 texts between Gunther and Megan, along with 21 phone calls.
5: He told Megan that Lacey had come over around 3 p.m. He said they argued. The argument turned violent and Mr. Gunther admitted that he choked Lacey a few times, but not to the point of Lacey losing consciousness. He then took Lacey to the basement of the residence. They continued to argue. Mr. Gunther continued tying, or admitted to tying Lacey's hands and choking her again. This time, Lacey turned blue. Lacey regained consciousness, however. While Lacey continued to struggle, Mr. Gunther tied her legs together and also put tape over her mouth. Mr. Gun- Gunther then put a bag over Lacey's head. Still, Lacey did not die. Finally, Mr. Gunther admitting to getting on top of Lacey while she was crying and bound and began to choke her again. He said he was sorry it had to be this way. He could let her go. He said that he knew she would call the cops. Mr. Gunther said he choked Lacey until she was lifeless. He told Megan that he blacked out during most of it.
0: Detective Cavilla said Gunther used Lacey's love of animals as a way to convince her to come over.
1: So there was texting going back and forth between the two, and uh, Gunther had actually invited Lacey over to see some pit bull puppies uh, that he had a litter of at the house there. And that was my understanding of as to why Lacey attended the residence on that day. So we were able to piece together some communications that had gone on and put together a bit of a timeline. We were able to determine it was between 3 and 9.15 that day uh, where the murder had occurred.
0: During the trial, Gunther took the stand and testified in his own defense.
5: He gave evidence that he and Lacey had engaged in uh, what would be referred to as rough sex, where they would have sexual intercourse, There would be choking to the point, almost to the point of unconsciousness. And, And as I recall, his evidence was that it went too far and he choked her and she didn't regain consciousness. That was, that was his evidence and that theory would have been that it was manslaughter or accidental death. Our theory was that he had intentionally killed her. I mean, it was up to Justice McLeod to, to uh, go through the evidence and, and ascertain if, what, what theory he believed.
0: In the end, the Queen's bench justice didn't believe Lacey's death was an accident.
4: Relief today from the mother of a Calgary woman murdered almost two and a half years ago. Christopher Gunther has been found guilty of first-degree murder in the death of his ex fiancee Lacey Jones McKnight. Global's Nancy Hicks was in court for the verdict today and Nancy, the judge, made it very clear this case was proven beyond a reasonable doubt.
0: Linda, the judge read a lengthy verdict and said he felt Gunther intended to kill Lacey and confined her to do it, finding him guilty of first-degree murder. The judge called Gunther's version of Lacey's death contrived and said it was as if Gunther was tiptoeing through a minefield of evidence. The judge ruled Gunther bound Lacey's hands and feet and choked her to death. Gunther showed no emotion as the verdict was read, but for the young victim's family and friends, there was a huge feeling of relief that there is finally justice for Lacey. I'm gonna say exuberant (laughs) It's the best way to put it. Just
3: extremely relieved, and a huge burden has been lifted off our shoulders today. This monster destroyed so many lives. So many lives, including his own. She was... uh, a beautiful young girl, and she loved him.
0: Gunther will receive an automatic life sentence with no chance of parole for 25 years. The judge delayed sentencing today to allow time for Lacey's loved ones to prepare their victim impact statements. Christopher Gunther was sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for 25 years. He attempted to have his conviction overturned, citing the trial judge erred. But in a unanimous decision, the Alberta Court of Appeal dismissed his appeal. The conviction for first-degree murder stands. Gunther has since changed his name to T.K. Assoon. He will be 51 years old when he's eligible to apply for day parole in 2034. This year will mark a decade since Lacey was killed, and she would have just celebrated her 30th birthday.
3: Everything is shattered, even to this day. You know, I, I, I compare it to that feeling when you're going down the steps and you miss a step, and that feeling of, oh, that's what it feels like all the time. So much that has been stolen from her. It's, it's hard, like even on social media, Nancy, I can't... When I used to have such close relationships with all of her friends... I can't anymore, because they're all getting married. They're all having children, and it's just too painful for me. It's just too painful. I love that I have all those photos of her. And I wish, obviously, I wish I had video, but I have my memories, and, and, and I'll never forget those special moments in our lives.
0: Shelly will never forget one of their final conversations.
3: I think it was the day that she died, Nancy. She, um, I, we were both standing there crying and, and uh, I said, you know, I, I'm so sorry that you didn't have a father in your life to help you with things. Cause he, he was in her life, but he wasn't in her life if you know what I mean. Anyway, she said to me, you know, Mom, having you as a mother made up for all of that. I mean, that's, that's a memory I'll cherish forever. I am I'm honored and I'm proud to be her mom. I, I, I just feel I was so lucky to have such an amazing, incredible, beautiful daughter.
0: Crime Beat is written and produced by me, Nancy Hickst, with producer Dila Velasquez. Audio editing and sound design is by Rob Johnston. Special thanks to photographer editor Danny Lantella for his work on this episode. And thanks to Chris Bassett, the VP of Content in Distribution and Editorial Standards for Global News. I would love to have you tell a friend about this podcast and you can help me share these important stories by rating and reviewing Crimebeat on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can find me on Twitter at Nancy Hickst, on Facebook at Nancy Hickst Crimebeat, and you can join me on Instagram at Nancy.Hickst. That's N-A-N-C-Y dot H-I-X-T. Thanks again for listening. Please join me next time.